0: Welcome to the Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening.
1: The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey listeners, we're here with another episode of Charlotte Reader's Podcast. We are welcoming David Madden, who is the author of 18 works of fiction, including Cassandra Singing. Is it
2: Bijou? Uh, Bijou, which means jewel, which means jewel.
1: Oh, it does. Oh, I'm learning already. (laughs) from you um two collections called the last bizarre tale in marble goddesses and mortal flesh um he's also the author of mama's lost piano which is what we're going to be talking about today which is a memoir about his mother um and it's it's kind of taken a little bit of a uh a unique twist on memoir i think um and welcome to the show david thank you so much for coming on
2: well thank you for having me
1: I'm excited to talk with you about the book, but um, first I want to kind of talk about your background a little bit. Um, I know you are in North Carolina. You're in Black Mountain now. Yes. Okay. And you, I noticed that you have, you say that you have kind of an intimate relationship with North Carolina. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means?
2: Yeah, my first teaching job was uh, at uh, in Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian State Teachers' College in those days, but it's now a university very small town, the highest town uh in uh one of the highest towns in west of the east of the mississippi and uh then I had a, a couple of summers on a farm there, just one year teaching uh they hanged me in effigy because i uh during uh, uh during a, a religious emphasis week. They took on an old mountaineer from Esquire magazine and their uh, football mascot, uh, uh, instead of Jesus. And although I was an agnostic, I thought that was so illogical that it was very depressing <laughs> that my students would be so illogical. And so they hanged me in effigy and uh, pointed out the, uh, the, uh, the school, people giving tours always pointed out the place where they hanged uh, David Madden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you feel like so that's kind of an interesting. I love that area of North Carolina, too. And I guess um, oh, yes. you've kind of you've lived in Knoxville. You've been in Louisiana. You've been in West North Carolina and Chapel Hill. What's your favorite place you've ever lived?
2: Well, Knoxville, of course. I, yes. I, I really love Knoxville. I yeah. feel great affection for it. My um, my archive is at the University of Tennessee uh, because I want it to be in my hometown Knoxville. Yeah, I was the last graduating class from Knoxville High School, where James Agee and some other famous people uh, attended uh, uh, in earlier years. And but then uh, uh, San Francisco was of course wonderful, and that was uh, graduate Mm -hmm. school for only nine months, and the place where Uh, I I wrote the most in that period of time of any other time or place. Uh, uh, Began three novels and many plays and essays and short stories, and I don't know how in the world I did it. Yeah, but I love Chapel Chapel Hill. I was writer-in-residence there for five weeks and started The Suicide's Wife, one of my novels there.
1: Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Chapel Hill is such a a green, wonderful place. I feel like I'm sure a lot of creative energy kind of flowed there. Um, You know, you mentioned that you've written plays. I know you've written poetry, short stories, fiction, memoir. um, You know, and I've also read that you were a radio host at one point while you were in Knoxville. Is that right?
2: (laughs) When I was 15. This is WNOX atop the Park National Bank building in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee. Stay tuned for the latest news from the Columbia Broadcasting System. You
1: still got it. (laughs) You've still got it. it. I
2: I, I wrote a book called On the Big Wind, which was our name for being on uh, on radio. On the Big Wind.
1: We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them. And when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and claim your free audiobook. So we're gonna kind of dive into your book now, the, the recent book that you've got out, which is Mama's Lost Piano. Um, which, like I said earlier, is kind of a different take on a memoir to me. Um, you know, it's it's about your mother, and it's kind of um, you know, you're you're telling her story through her memories as you interpret them, um, I so. and I think that is such a unique thing. Um, I've never read a book like this before. It was it's beautifully written. Um, you know, very vivid yeah. memories. Uh, yeah. You feel very. It's like you're there. Um, and her, your mother's name is Emily, and I'm also going to just let our listeners know I'm calling um, him David, but. Friends and family know you as Jerry, right?
2: My name is My name is Gerald David Madden. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, and and I wanted to point out, uh, as you're well aware, that these are short pieces mm-hmm. of a page or two, and sometimes three or four. Yep. Uh, so that you dip in and out of time and in and out of narrative. The narrative is not consecutive and it's all impressionistic so let me give you an example there are headings and this one is headed midnight fudge consolation she had finally gotten john and jerry into bed an antique iron day bed that opened up in the kitchen by the stove that was still warm wondering whether dickie and where dickie could be on the run probably escaped from brushy mountain prison sorely consciously aware that this two-room apartment that shared bath in a small place in the corner of busy atlantic and persian in knoxville was more cramped than any of the many other houses she had had to rent in her bedroom her refuge after a long day at miller's ready-to-wear department store her feet killing her as usual she shucked off her chenille robe and crawled into bed settled snugly and reached for Forever Amber by Catherine Windsor, which Ruth had recommended and which she rented yesterday from Georgia's department store on Gay. Her place marked by a white store ad for Stokely's canned pinto beans, two for 27 cents, that she would also use tomorrow when she went to uh, get the groceries. And then she reached for the box of Brussels Stover assorted chocolates that she had craved all day long, uh, all the way home on the streetcar. The sight of the dark brown little paper cups, all empty, made her instantly fling the box across the room, setting the window shade to rattling. She she lacking uh, chocolate made her whimper all day's wrecked moments condensed into tears. She dug Granny Merritt's old hot plate out of the crammed full bedroom closet, then marched back down the ice cold hallway into the kitchen and quiet as a robber, gathered what she needed into mother's cast off iron pot. And, and uh, on the hot plate, she lovingly stirred the fudge to boil until she just knew even without doing the hardball test it was ready and she beat it to a lustrous brown then a dull brown and when the spoon began to resist she poured it onto a buttered plate crawled back into bed and propped on the pillows opened forever amber slowly savoring the fudge she knew she so richly deserved as she read but from the kitchen through the wall came John's whining voice, and then Jerry's, Mama, Mama, I smell fudge, Mama. Her mouth full of fudge, she yelled back at them, You all rush up in there. You're going to wake Mrs. Yarbrough and her baby. Then she sucked up into her mouth the fudge that had drooled.
1: <laughs> Did you get hungry while you were writing that one? I feel like I <laughs> yeah. was just getting My mouth was just watering.
2: Time. Every <laughs> time, every time. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I mean that's uh, it's very funny, but at the same time it's probably the saddest story I ever told because yeah. it really is a what I call a charged image of my mother's life, and at the time I wrote it at uh, the time I first wrote it uh I didn't know that women loved uh, love chocolate that much. <laughs> <laughs> Including you, <laughs> we you. do. We
1: do. It's so good. Um, and I was going to ask you too. One of the questions I had while reading this was, you know, I, I always feel like with memoir, it's it's definitely can be looked at as a therapeutic process um, for a lot of people because they're it is a lot of pain and uh not always but a lot of the time that's kind of the um the journey that you go along with a writer in their memoir is kind of a painful situation turned into something beautiful or you know whatever it might be and for this with your mother someone so close to your heart um was it hard to write this what was the hardest part about writing this book
2: well, I'm glad you brought this up because I think my attitude is not only different from other uh, many other writers, not all, uh, and many readers, uh, in that um, I I, uh, I don't I don't experience therapy when I write. I don't, um, for one thing, I'm a very optimistic, and happy person all my life, even through. Tribulations. <laughs> I'm happy because it's interesting. <laughs> to me, it is interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's affection in the interest. I never thought of that before, by the way, that an affectionate interest. How's that? that that's I a love friend. that. An affectionate interest in everything that I observed happening to my mother and between my mother and myself. Uh, I was with her. Uh, we were very close uh, while my other two brothers were in and out of penitentiaries and reform schools and wandering, chasing a wild, the wild, they were the wild goose, so to yeah. speak. Uh, <laughs> I, I pretty much stayed at home with her. And then I wandered later after I got uh, left Knoxville. I wandered quite a bit. Uh, and uh, so I, I, uh, I, I, she is so real and so. Everything about her is very, very real, and she had a sad life. She, uh, Her greatest years were teenage years in Cleveland, Ohio, where she had many friends, and she swam, and she danced. And to some extent, she tried to repeat that in Knoxville. The piano that she lost, her father finally gave her in Cleveland one day, and then uh, uh, he lost his job the next day. He packed all their belongings as much as he could into the piano crate. Sold the piano, and they returned to Knoxville. She hated Knoxville,
1: yeah, and
2: she loved Cleveland. So, so that's her life. Is the loss of the piano is is embodies the whole concept, the image of the piano, of what she lost. And I felt that very, very deeply. But it's not. It wasn't therapeutic to write it. It was a celebration. Of, of her life, a celebration of my life with her. It's a, a story about a young writer and his mother and, right. uh, and her, you know, they told me, I told, I told the family, I'm gonna grow up and be a uh, famous writer, which I'm not as much as uh, I'd love to be, but I have never had a moment's uh, resentment about that. Anyway, I'm gonna be a rich and famous writer, and my grandmother who taught me how to tell a story said well Jerry we just not them kind of people we just don't we're not them kind of people <laughs> and so i thought well i'll show all of you but my mother was uh, sort of that way in the beginning and she got more and more uh, involved in in what i was doing and proud of it so um so I really don't believe in using, I've taught writing for 70 years, practically, uh, and I I emphasize the art of writing and teaching. It, if you learn the art by reading writers who have employed the art, Fitzgerald, uh, James Joyce, Faulkner, above all, and, and you learn that, then you don't you don't have uh, what students and other writers tell me oh i've got writer's block oh i just can't get started oh it's a, a lot of people say oh it's so painful writing is so painful and i'm thinking what what wait a minute what <laughs> what
1: are you writing about
2: yeah <laughs> painful, painful it's beautiful it's exciting it's thrilling like uh, uh during the day i'd be writing in, in a in a, my study with just a little light over my desk and and i'll never forget the uh the plumber who came in and said how can you stand to be in here uh, uh, uh wait it's sun shining outside and you're in here in the dark don't you don't you wish you could get out in the world and i said well don't you wish you could get out from under the sink that you're working on <laughs> the idea that, uh, I mean, I'm, deep in the, I'm, I'm deep in a world, a world that I'm halfway creating. God did half of it, and I did the other
0: half. Hey, listeners, we'll be back in just a moment with uh, Hannah's interview of David uh, Madden. But first, uh, a short message from our narrator of Death by Podcasting. Hello, podcast listeners. I am Bill A. Jones, the narrator of Death by Podcasting, a novella written by Sarah Archer and Landis Wade, and published by Charlotte Readers Podcast, LLC. I would like to invite you to experience Death by Podcasting. It's available in print, ebook, and <laughs> my personal favorite audiobook wherever books are sold. And here's the bonus: when you buy Death by Podcasting, you support Charlotte Readers' Podcast and you learn how dangerous it can be to podcast with authors. Here's a taste of the story. Podcast co-hosts' raspy fuse and salty remarks receive an anonymous text. One of the three author guests you plan to interview Tuesday night intends to kill you both. At first, the co-hosts think the text is a joke. Why would egotistical poet William Z. Wisp Sexy romance author Della Molasses or tightly wound thriller writer Edwin Nocturne want to kill them. Raspy and Salty have never met the Scribblers. The co-hosts approach their killer interviews as a fun adventure until they learn another literary podcaster died mysteriously when she interviewed the authors. And a psychologist specializing in writer therapy has been treating the writers for mental health issues. Worse yet, the co-hosts discover suspicious ties between the authors and disgruntled members of their own podcast team, doubling the suspect list. Raspy and Salty decide to tap into their experience reading and writing mysteries to identify their would-be murderer and unravel the plot before it's too late. If they can't, their sense of humor and wordplay will be all they have left to avoid Death by podcasting. To learn more about Sarah Archer's writing, check out SarahArcherWrites.com. To learn more about Landis Wade's writing, check out LandisWade.com. For all things Charlotte Reader's Podcast, check out Charlotte Reader's Podcast.com. Happy reading and listening. And oh, if you ever decide to podcast with authors, be careful out there
1: oh my gosh i can tell that you are the kind of person and writer uh that meets people and you just automatically you have like the character the drive to tell a story (laughs) about their character it's so funny i love that um so you know you were just talking about your mom uh losing like the piano is gone they had to give it up when her father lost his job and they had to move tell me about the first time that your mom told you that story How how did you feel, and how did you know that you wanted to write this? (laughs) You know,
2: (laughs) well, well, uh, I've written from um, from I guess um, uh, Bijou was my third novel, uh, set in the Bijou Theater in Knoxville, Tennessee, but then radiating out into Knoxville and involved her quite a bit. So that I had been writing about her, so to speak, since. Before my son was born in uh, 1960. Uh, So um, it was never a a matter of deciding, just that uh, she was a part of so much. Anything based on my life, uh, she was a part of. The uh, uh, book that I've memoir that I've just uh, finished uh, called My Creative Life in the Army. How's that? Oh, title, I like that. My creative life in the army. You've piqued then my it's interest. Full of, it's, full of letter, <laughs> it's full of letters from her to me, as, in, as wow. is the memoir Mama's Lost Piano is also has a lot of letters she wrote to me. All uh, epiphanies, one epiphany after another, to use a religious term, which is an embodiment of many feelings and, and radiates implications of all kinds so that, so that like the piano. Uh, every scene is not just literally what's there. It's implying so much more and uh, No, it, it's it, it. Oh, i tell you it might be interesting. Uh, I started it um, January 1st, I forget exactly the year. I think it was, 19, it was 2012 um, January 1st 2012 and ended these sessions quick sessions every night, uh, a year later, December 31st, uh, 2013. So that every night, I'd go into my study, and I would do these short pieces. And it was a wonderful experience, much more wonderful than a straight narrative line, where I probably would have had to do a lot of research and felt obliged to include everything I researched.
1: Right. Wow, that's that's super interesting, because that's what I was, I was thinking this whole time when I was reading this. I'm just like, wow, that had to have been a ton of conversations with your mom, too, just over the years. Yeah. Um, were there stories that didn't make the cut?
2: Uh, yeah. The uh, <clears throat> the It was too long. It was about um, 400 pages. And I think that this kind of book, memoir, uh, would not sustain the interest for 400 or 350 printed pages. So I did, sadly, uh, have to cut some out. But then, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll find their way into some other, some other piece.
1: We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the host, landiswade.com, saraharcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. Um, So I was going to ask you, one thing I definitely want to cover with you, um, I know we're, I feel like I could talk with you forever, we're we're already running out of time now, but I want to make sure I ask you kind of, um, you know, you said that you've you've been teaching writing for 70 years, I know you've written a ton of things, uh, plays, poetry, fiction, memoir, Um, what are a couple of the things you've learned about writing and the creative process since you started? Um, What, like, you know, what would you tell yourself as a young writer uh, today?
2: Well, um, I had picked up early so vividly uh, some of the basics of the art of fiction. The things that I picked up later, uh, I think are very, very uh, useful. Uh, I use the phrase, the charged image. There's nowhere in literary criticism that you will find that phrase. It came to me uh, when I read Ezra Pound's um, uh, great literature must be charged with meaning, and by that I think he meant with images, because he was an imagist. Just using that, I don't think that's a good word, charged with images, I would say. And uh, a charged image is the <clears throat> most powerful image at the center of Of the story you're writing or the novel, I give you an idea. Is the charged image in Huckleberry Finn is uh, Huckleberry Finn and Jim on the raft on the Mississippi River. The charged image in Don Quixote is Quixote and uh, Sancho Panza approaching the windmill, which is one of the most famous moments uh, in all literature. And the charged image in The Great Gatsby is the green light at the end of Daisy's dock, which is introduced in the beginning and comes back in the end. But in the original version, he had the two passages up front. And he chopped it off and put it at the end. A brilliant artistic decision. And another thing is the the relationship between point of view, the point of view from which the story is is presented, and the style. That uh, the point of view you choose uh, affects the style that is best suited for that point of view so that if it's omniscient the style will be totally different even naturally but in rewriting you should you should work on making it more natural my, my favorite uh, point of view is is uh, third person centralized to only one character in which we get what we're reading has to have come from the consciousness the memory of that central character and then the style would fit the style would fit that particular character uh you know a uh, ordinary guy as opposed to a very sophisticated guy and that's that's Mm -hmm. so those things are two of the most important things i stress uh, in in the art of writing. Is that the question you ask me?
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on here with me today. I've I enjoyed this. I've you're loved this conversation. The most
2: enjoyable, you're one of the most enjoyable uh, hosts I've had in a long
1: time. Oh my gosh, stop it.
2: <laughs> well, listeners,
1: definitely go grab a copy of uh, Mama's Lost Piano. I loved it. You can read it in it's kind of one of those books that you can pick up and read a story and then pick it up again a little bit later. And you know, it's, it's so, so beautifully written. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on David. And I, I have it. to say, do my, yeah, and we'll, we'll do it again for your next one.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. Soon. All I hope. right,
1: everybody. But in the meantime, guys, read on, ride on and rock on.